This episode is brought to you by Grasshopper Climbing. I have tried all of the training boards on the market. I love them all. The moon board, tension board, kilter board, they're all great. They're all so much fun. But the Grasshopper board is my personal favorite. I really do think it is the best training board out there. And I cannot wait to buy a house or a property someday just so I can own one of these things so I can train on it every day. Why is that? Why is this thing my favorite of all the training boards? Well, first things first, they got the basics right. You can actually warm up on this board, which is super critical if you're thinking about putting a board in your garage and that's the only thing you have to train on. The LED lights are in the right spot and are easy to see when you're climbing, and the wall angle is easy to adjust. Just those three things already set the grasshopper board apart. But more than that, I absolutely love their holds. As soon as I climbed on the board, I could tell the folks at Grasshopper put a ton of thought into the hold shapes and the layout of the board. The holds are also mirrored, which I love. It's really cool to try a hard boulder problem, climb on it one way, and then flip it around in the app and see if it feels different to climb it the other way around. That's a great diagnostic tool, and I love that if I find a cool boulder problem to try, I immediately have two boulder problems to work on that are equally good for training. As always, though, don't take my word for it, because the folks at Grasshopper Climbing just want you to try out their board for yourself. Be sure to check them out on Instagram at Grasshopper Climbing if you want to see the board in action. And you can visit their website at grasshopperclimbing.com to learn more and contact their sales team to find out which board solution is right for you. And if you're ready to pull the trigger, the folks at Grasshopper are offering you guys, listeners to this podcast, $500 off when you order a fully kitted out 8x10 foot Grasshopper board. And you can save even more if you upgrade to a larger board. Just tell them I sent you and they will hook it up and you can save hundreds of dollars. That's like three pairs of climbing shoes you can save just for listening to this podcast. Once again, you can check them out on Instagram at Grasshopper Climbing or at their website, grasshopperclimbing.com, and be sure to tell them I sent you. This episode is brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions, my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin. Here's the deal. It's winter right now. I'm recording this in January. So I'm guessing a lot of you in the Northern Hemisphere are climbing indoors and just training and surviving the cold and wet winter on the plastic and getting strong for the spring season. Something that's always annoyed me about climbing in the commercial climbing gym is it's never the right temperature. I don't know why, but for some reason, gyms tend to be too warm. I like training inside. It's super fun and it's super good for building strength for the coming season, but I have really sweaty hands and it's so annoying to fall off my project inside or to slip off a hold when I'm training because my hands are sweaty. Luckily for us, my pal Justin Brown, the founder of Rhino Skin Solutions, has a solution. Rhino's line of antiperspirant products are a game changer when it comes to climbing in warm or humid conditions, whether that's outside or in the climbing gym, especially if you have sweaty skin like I do. Check out their performance cream, dry spray, and tip juice to keep your hands dry as you tackle your gym projects this winter. And check out my episode with Justin Brown way back in episode 22 of The Nugget to learn how to use them and how to take great care of your skin for whatever type of climbing you love to do. 
Head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order of Rhino's antiperspirant products. Stock up on performance cream, dry spray, and tip juice to keep your skin dry and happy in the gym heat. Once again, that's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is Stephen. And today, welcome back to another Fundamentals episode. This is number two. And today we are talking about how to go on a bouldering trip specifically. We're going to share some of our top tips and pitfalls and takeaways from many, many bouldering trips that we've been on. Good ones, bad ones, in between ones. Jesse, what is a memory, a moment that really stands out from a bouldering trip that you've been on? I don't know why this is the memory that sprang to mind when you when you told me that was the icebreaker question. But um, when I went to Rocklands, uh, I was there a little bit longer than all of my friends. So I had like a week or something after everybody else had left and I was still in South Africa by myself. Um, How did that work? Like you botched the ticket purchasing or well just everybody wanted to go for different amounts of time okay and i was the greediest (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to go for the longest Uh um and i mean and my significant other came for a while but we were like brand new dating so i think she like didn't want to commit to going for the whole thing that's fair which it worked out yeah and we're like gonna get married but (laughs) at the time it was justified (laughs) um so I, i was there by myself and uh i didn't really have any climbing partners and i had two two things i want i still wanted to do um, two things on my list, like this this V11 project and then this like kind of tall V9 uh, called Cedar Spine. And I had like a, a couple climbing days left. And the night before one of my last climbing days, I was hanging out at Traveler's Rest and there was this group of Catalonian guys there. And they like did not really speak any English. And I like didn't really speak, I don't really speak Spanish. I have like high school Spanish skills, right? Um, and if you know like Catalonian Spanish, it's like extra hard if, if you only know high school Spanish, <laughs> like super fast mm. um, in different dialect. And uh, I wound up like linking up with those guys because they were like psyched to get on Cedar Spine. They were like, oh yeah, yeah, Cedar Spine. Like, like we could share that. They were like, mm-hmm. they knew that word. They mm-hmm. like knew what that was. And I was like, cool, okay. And we made a plan. They were like, we'll meet you at Cedar Spine. And it's like a, it's not like super far, but it's kind of off by itself. It's probably like 40 minutes or something from the car to get to that boulder. So I like went out the next day, I went to my project, uh, which I could do with my own pads and I like did my project. So I like felt really good, like had some momentum. And then I was like, all right, I'm gonna go up to uh, Cedar Spine and like hope these guys show up. I don't think we even set a time. I was just nice. like hanging out at the boulder and I just hiked up there with my two pads and uh, and all my kit. And I just like literally sat there and like waited. Cause it's like too tall to even, I couldn't even really like try the moves, you know? There's like no point basically, you just immediately get off the ground. And like after an hour or something like this crew rolled up and if you've climbed with Spaniards, they're like, I mean, I'm like that I'm muerte kind of thing is like a thing for a reason. Mm. And those guys like got me up that boulder. I was like so exhausted at the end of my trip, but they like showed up with the pads and they showed up with the psych and they were like screaming at me and I, <laughs> and I like did the boulder and it was an awesome memory. Nice. Um, 
of just some like some random dudes. So shout out to those guys. Mm. That, was, that was a really awesome memory. Do you have a, a a nice memory to share? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, it is funny. There's so many trips and so many good memories, but there was <clears throat> the first thing I thought of was um, it definitely is like one of the most special moments of of my climbing. And um, I was in Bishop, California. This is in 2017 in February. And I've talked about this on the podcast before. I don't know if I've ever shared all the details, but um, this was like the best week of bouldering of my life, this trip. I talked about it a little bit in um, in our first Fundamentals episode. And I, I was training for the trip and went on the trip with the very specific goal of climbing three V10s that I'd picked out. One of them was Acid Wash, which, which was like a carryover project from years and years before. It was like an old nemesis of mine. And Center Direct was another one because that stood out as like a really hard test piece in Bishop to me. And then Stained Glass because it's so beautiful and I just always wanted to do that one. Such a sick take list. For for a season in Bishop, that would be a good list. Yeah, no, I agree. I've, I've never had um, a trip like that before or since. But, um, but yeah, so this was day, let's see, I was there for seven days. This was my fourth climbing day out of five. So... We talked about this last time, but I had day one, I sent Center Direct, did Soul Slinger first try. I had tried it years before, but just had this amazing first day. And then it rained the, the second day. So I was forced to rest, which was great. Third day I did Acid Wash. So I'm already like winning. Mm-hmm. Um, the fourth day of the trip. So so third climbing day, I got to try stained glass, got super close. Weather was kind of weird. It was like intermittent snowing. Um, got super close and tore a hole in my finger. Mm. And took a rest day and just really didn't know if I'd be able to do it. This was basically my last chance because I probably wouldn't be able to have really good tries two days in a row on it. And my skin was already kind of thin. But I'd gotten really close. I ended up climbing it with tape. I think I found like slightly different beta that bit into the tape a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just this perfect, crisp day. Conditions were better than the previous day warmed up, had all that like nervous energy after a rest day, you know, Mm -hmm. like was really hoping that it would all come together and then just did it. Like not first try. I think first try was really close. Second try, I fell like on the first move or something. And then third try, I did it. Nice. And just topping that thing out, you know, it was the final check mark of, of that initial list. And you top out to like the most breathtaking view you can imagine. It was sunny outside. It was, it was a weird season where, um, I think because of snow melt, the road had been closed from, uh, from flooding. Mm-hmm. And at first, like the very first day we thought we like couldn't climb the buttermilks and then we decided to walk that road. And then, um, we learned that it was just closed for liability and we could drive on it. So, but Regardless, like the buttermilks were super quiet. It was really peaceful. And it was just like one of those, I was by myself. It was like a really serene, beautiful moment where just like one of those really special, rare moments where everything like clicks, yeah. you know? Dude, I, I love that you mentioned topping out to the view because that is something about bouldering that I find really special mm-hmm. that like you get so focused in on the boulder and the moves and you're like down in this, usually in some like dank hole. <laughs> And then when you finally do it, you like get this total perspective shift. Yeah, it like you do. tends Every, to come like the with world really rushes back in. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. Like I, I did um, 
not even like a major boulder yesterday, but like a boulder in Waco on that, like on the fern roof, you know, where you top out that huge slab. And it's like you go from like climbing in this roof mm. that has a pretty cool view of Waco to like suddenly you're like su on the summit of the friggin' mountain and you can have like 360 views of the whole valley, you know? Yeah. It's such a cool feeling. Uh, I love that aspect of Boulder. What did you do? What was the... Oh, uh, Mexican chicken. Nice. I'd never done it before. I still haven't done that one. It's really, it's really good. It looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's on my list. Geeking out. Okay. Um, do we want to talk about like lessons, takeaways from those trips or do we want to jump right into tips? I think let's tips. Okay. Let's do tips. You go first. Okay. So bouldering tips. Uh, bouldering tip number one, try to have a mix of pads. So either that's in your personal kit or in your crew, if you're going with a crew of people. Um, I, I love an organic big pad as much as the next guy. And that's like my, my main pad I carry. But uh, if you only have like four of those in your crew and you have like an uneven landing or like a rock in the landing or something, it's going to be harder to deal with than if you have options to help you like set the landing up differently. So I like to have a mix of, you know, you can get like big pads, uh, what I call filler pads, which are like the kind of less dense foam, uh, but they, you know, they're lighter, but they have more surface area, like a mad pad or like a, uh, like a pencil pad, those kind of pads. Um, and then tacos, which are nice for like wrapping over things. And then sliders are like super, super helpful. The like thin ones that you can, you know, use for a set start or like fill a gap or something. Um, if you have like a few of each, it's a lot easier to like put together a landing that's safe versus just having, you know, like four big clunky pads that, you know, don't really work or like four trifolds. That would be like a nightmare <laughs> for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if I'm like on a solo trip and I have, and I, I have space, which I usually do. My my like preferred kit is like a big pad, a trifold, a filler pad, and a taco. Like one of each, basically. Mm. And I can usually handle like any landing with those four. Nice. Um, so that's a great first one. Um, that's funny. When we were talking about doing this, I had thought of that, and then I forgot to add it to the tip. <laughs> so it's perfect that you shared it. But yeah, I I feel exactly the same way. Um, I really, one thing I bought just a couple of years ago, the first time I came to Waco was one of the big sliders mm -hmm. or blubbers, whatever you want to call it, like a four by six. Mm -hmm. And that is so useful. Yeah. I use it all the time to yeah, cover yeah. seams or even to cover, you know, like there's a lot of long roofs here that don't get high off the ground and you can just cover so much more area with those. And for stretching. And for stretching. And if you, yeah, if you have like, like, like a, a any size like slider, down. but especially like a bigger slider, just to like... If you're if you're in a big group and they have plenty of pads and you don't need the slider for anything, having a, just a place to like sit where you're not in the dirt really like mm -hmm. elevates lunch. You know, <laughs> you feel like less of a dirt bag. Yeah. Um, so I, I find that to be a good use, and I, I use mine all the time for stretching. Even just at home, I'll use mm. my blubber pad for stretching in the garage. That's great. Um, I'm going to share my kit because you shared your kit, and and maybe it's helpful. Um, cool. Mine's kind of similar. I have a big organic pad. That's my main one. Um, I carry the uh, the four by six slider and two small sliders inside that. And then I have a normal bifold and then I have a half pad. That's like your whole, that's everything you have in your van? Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's, that like combo your, is, what's your combo for a day, just a normal day? I mean, I would, I would take all of that. Um, I would take all of that if I was bouldering by myself in Waco. Gotcha. Yeah. And okay. it just depends on the boulder. Like right. sometimes I can get away with just the big pad and the sliders. Um, right. But yeah, carrying all of them, I feel like there's very, very few things that I can't do with that combo. 
Gotcha. Yeah. As far as like standard boulders go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. Isn't it funny? Like, I used to think like a big um, black diamond Mondo, that was what I used to have. Like, I thought that was like enough. Yeah. For like anything. For like anything. <laughs> now that's like, yeah. Not, like our standards for pads have gone so, so far up. It's funny. Well, I mean, yeah, some people lament that. And I, I guess I get that if you have like the rose colored glasses of days gone by, but, um, I'm, I'm in all the gear all the time kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, more yeah. pads is just better for me. Mm -hmm. I did like a highball in Leavenworth earlier this year where I think we had like 18 or 20 pads or something. And it, mm. I had tried it on a rope and I had like tried it from the ground a little bit before that day, but just like looking at the landing from the side and seeing that the landing was like, you know, 18 inches or two feet higher. I was like, whoa, the boulder is like two feet shorter. Mm. And it actually like gave me a confidence boost just that the boulder like looked smaller, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm all for it. And nice. you, know, you don't lose any points for that. If somebody wants to call me a weenie or whatever, just remind them that I'm in my late thirties. I feel okay about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's always people that'll be haters, but they can go climbing without pads. If they, they can, want to. they can go sprain their they ankles. Can, yeah. They can go <laughs> miss the pads and bruise their heels or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, should I do one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My, uh, my first tip for a bouldering trip is to make your preparation as specific as possible. Um, and this is, I'm, I thought of this one through the lens of that Bishop trip. I think that's what made it so successful. So if you're going somewhere new for the first time and you don't have a big agenda, that's totally fine. Um, you don't have to do this, but if you have a goal in mind, a specific goal, or you want to climb you know, you want to climb well, you want to send a lot of things, making the preparation as specific as possible, especially in like the second half of your training. If you have like a, you know, if you have like a block of training set aside, I really think that made all the difference for that Bishop trip. I was effectively, I had, I had the advantage of having been there a lot, um, having spent a lot of time there in the past and been there on multiple trips. So I already understood the climbing style. I, I had already tried I think all of the things that I wanted to do, or at least most of them, um, I knew what the holds were like. I knew what the angles were like. And so I was able to, um, and I had a Woody at the time too. So I was able to buy some really sharp, aggressive crimps and put my Woody together in a way that kind of, I didn't set replicas, but it really mimicked the style of, yep. of Bishop. And Got I came into that. Points. What's that? You got the major points. Totally. Yeah. The the way that the moves were hard were really centered around like foot tension and moving slow and controlled between like uh, precise yeah. in-cut biter cramps. Yeah. But yeah, my, my skin was conditioned from training that way. I had the confidence of, uh, of moving around on small holds. I was doing a mix of projecting and perfect repeats. And just felt like I was climbing, just moving really well, but my fingers also felt strong. So, um, and you can, you know, you can do that uh, differently based on the different styles of climbing. Like if you're going to a Joe's Valley or, or Waco, um, you know, you can kind of try to target that style of climbing to the best of your ability mm -hmm. on a board or in the commercial gym and be selective about problems and things. Um, if you've never been there, that's going to be more challenging, obviously, but you can watch videos to learn about the style. And I think the things to pay attention to that might not be obvious are the pace mm -hmm. that people climb on that style of rock in that area. Bishops, like, you know, you can see that people are moving slowly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably means that the holds aren't very good and there's a lot of tension. Yep. Um, hold size, you know, the the rock type, the sharpness of the rock. You can get so much from videos now just with the the amount of content that we have. So yeah, time under tension would be another yeah, one time that under I would tension. Add. Like How Waco long the boulders are. All my projects in Waco, if you watch if I watch videos of them, like a lot of them are like, you know, ninety seconds or two minutes or something of climbing. Mm. Like they're long boulders. Yeah. Uh, like the the cutoff for uh, Instagram and YouTube, their like features, their new features are 60 seconds, you know? Mm. And I find everything I send here, I have to like edit in like, some <laughs> speed or like do some jump cuts or something because they're all too long to oh, fit wow. in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Because our attention spans are shrinking. <laughs> um, I have a, a very brief training tip that I could kind of tack on to the end of that one. Okay, let's do it. Um, so two things that I think people miss in their bouldering training if you're going to go on a, a major trip, um, and really, even if you're just going on consistent weekend trips, I think this would be meaningful too. Uh, never stop walking. So mm. I think a lot of people who mostly climb in the gym, you know, especially if they like live in a city and commute, they don't really do any walking with their pad on, and they're just going to go straight from like being in the city to like carrying a pad around with all their shit for a week or a month or whatever. There's going to be like a big curve there where they have to get used to that work. And I know it's not hard to do but it does add like total, total workload. Yeah. And um, if you just try to bake in some walking, it will really help. Uh, and if you can bake in some hiking, that's even better. And if you can bake in some walking with a load, that's like ideal. Because mm-hmm. crash, I don't know about you, but we're talking about carrying all the pads so that we're safe. Totally. That yeah. shit's heavy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I, I notice when I stop uh, doing big approaches and I actually make an effort to try to like have a boulder project that has a big approach, you know, every few months or something at home so that I like remember what that's like to like have to hike with my stuff on for half an hour. Mm. Um, I think that's valuable. Yeah. And the other, the other thing about training is if you're going on a bouldering trip, you're probably going to do a lot of falling and just like, don't forget to train your legs and don't forget to like pay attention to the like fatigue level in your legs and recovery level in your legs. Mm. Cause people do fall in the gym uh, but I think it's just not the same. It's such a uniform surface. It's a lot more predictable. If you're smart, you're probably down climbing in the gym, which is not an option outside, you know? So your mm-hmm. legs are going to take a beating and training your legs would be smart. Yeah, that's great. If you uh, if you live in a city and only have a climbing gym or a conventional gym or something like that, um, just jumping on a treadmill and walking quickly at an incline like walk at four miles an hour with a weight vest on and an incline yeah you can do that that's that's great prep yeah. for carrying pads around i like i like one of my favorite ways to just add work capacity to training is farmers carries too they're kind of mm. like just they're an excellent exercise and they're really good for that so like you know throw throw some farmers carries in your warm-up or in your cool down nice good way to add some capacity cool you got, you got a next tip? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so tip number two from me is, dis- and, this, and this is like when you're on the trip um, and you're at the boulders, you're climbing. Decide really quickly whether or not the boulder is important to you or not. Um, and kind of going along with that, like have an intention for the trip and for each climbing day. Hmm. Um the really nice thing about bouldering trips, and this is different from sport climbing trips, so we'll talk about that in the next episode, but um, the nice thing about bouldering trips is that there's a really low barrier to entry if you want to try something. You can run around and try tons of things in a day, whereas sport climbing, you have like, you know, five tries total or whatever it is. Yeah. 
but it's also very, very easy to get sucked into things that you don't actually care about. You just happen to be there. The pads are there because one of your friends starts trying it or whatever, and it's a moderate and you think you should be able to do it, you know, Mm -hmm. should with air quotes. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's a really, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself and getting into pitfalls here, but I think it's a really common trap to end up frustrated and thin on skin and wasting tons of energy trying to tick something that if you really, if you stopped and took a moment to think about it, like you don't even care. You don't even necessarily want to be climbing on that thing. And yeah, um, yeah, I could tie that into, uh, to another tip I have, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's a big one. Just stop and ask, like, do I actually want to climb this thing? Does it matter to me? Yeah. Is it important? Or am I just trying to warm up here and I actually want to just be ready to pull hard so I can go try that other thing that's actually inspiring. That's a good point, though. In bouldering, it's a lot easier to like shift your your goal. Uh, you know, not it's not always like a two minute walk or whatever, but sometimes it is. And just in general, choosing whether to try something or not is a little bit uh, lower consequence in bouldering mm-hmm. versus sport climbing. I think that's a good point. And it can feel like packing up all your stuff is a lot of work, but it's not it's that really big not. Of, yeah. It doesn't take that long. It's not that big a deal to relocate. Yeah, a general tip that I would piggyback on that is just to be mindful of your own language that you use with yourself. If you're using really strong imperative language with yourself, then then you should definitely do that analysis of what you really want. So if you're saying like, I should be able to do this, or like, mm. I need to finish this so that we can go to the next thing, stuff like that. Just notice when you're doing that, because that, you know, that pressure is probably not helping you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. And it might even be like misleading you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Um, for my next one, are you, is that, should I move on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you should go. Uh, my next one is, I'm jumping back a little bit to the kit, and this could definitely apply to sport climbing and bouldering, but the reason that I put it in the bouldering one is because pads and bouldering stuff just takes up so much freaking space in your car. Um, so before you go on a bouldering trip, have all your gear and your car all cleaned out and sorted, if this is a car trip. Um, I like to go as far as like clean, actually cleaning my car and I have a dog. So that's like a major endeavor. But if you're going to be like stuck in your car for a week or a month or longer, like you're going to want it to be as clean as possible. Um, and then clean out your day bag, <laughs> like dump all the dirt out of the bottom of it. Take all the like tape and wrappers that are like crammed into the bottom. Take all mm. that shit out. Like start the trip like organized. Mm. Even if you're not an organized person, at least start the trip organized. <laughs> uh, and then when I do that, I also like to like put some emergency snacks, you know, down in the like bowels of the bag where <laughs> I like never go just so that if I'm out at the crag and I like ate all my food somehow, mm-hmm. like I always have like a couple thousand extra calories in my bag. Wow. And nice. when people run out of food at the crag, it like blows my mind. Like mm-hmm. you're, you know, you like paid money to be out here and you're like out of food and now you can't climb. Come on. <laughs> you can do better than that. Yeah. Um, And in the car, kind of related, I like to have a secondary bin or bag for all the accessory stuff that I might want, but is not part of my like main kit. So your extra shoes, my rope and harness if I'm head pointing, cleaning brushes, um, you know, fan, any of that kind of stuff. And I've now learned through others' negative experiences that you want that bin to be uh, opaque, preferably. So people can't like see into your car and see that you have climbing gear in a Got clear it. bin. Um, and then again, if you're going with a crew, you might want to coordinate and make sure that like somebody has a stick brush, somebody has a fan, you know, mm. if they're willing to share the fan. Um, 
all that kind of stuff. And if you're going solo, then just make sure you have like everything you need. Mm-hmm. And that's, it sounds really obvious, but I guess that cleaning process really like helps me make sure that I have the stuff I want. And then one more related uh, bullet point on that. I like to use kind of like a visualization of my day during the trip to figure out what I need to bring. Mm. So when I'm at home making my like packing list, I'll kind of just sit down and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to wake up in the morning. Okay. That means I have like my sleeping bag, my pillow, whatever those go on the list. What's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to make coffee. So I know I have to have like a kettle. I have to have a stove. I have to have fuel. I have to have coffee. I have to have a grinder. I have to have a mug to drink it out. You know what I mean? I just like mm-hmm. go through my day mm. and I let all the tasks that I have to do in my day, like become my to-do list. And it makes it really easy to not forget something stupid like a coffee grinder that will like derail at least one of your climbing days because you have to like go to Safeway and buy ground coffee or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? Yeah. Um, so that's like a, I think that's a handy thing to do before a trip. Nice. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Petzl. I have been using Petzl equipment for more than a decade, and today I want to talk about quick draws. Rock climbing is hard, but clipping shouldn't be. Whether you're on siding, red pointing, or just warming up, the last thing you want to be struggling with is clipping your quick draws. That's why in 1991, Petzl introduced the Spirit Quick Draw. They set out to build the best clipping carabiner on the market, and 30 years later, you can still find Spirit Express Quick Draws hanging on the hardest routes in the world. And these are my favorite quick draws and the ones I leave hanging on my own projects. Petzl makes some of the most clippable and durable carabiners on the market. Each Petzl carabiner design is tested to ensure that it can withstand 100,000 open and close cycles. That's a hell of a lot of clips. Whether you're climbing 510 or 514, you deserve a carabiner that's clippable, durable, and affordable. Check out Petzl's entire lineup of carabiners and quick draws at your local climbing shop or online at Petzl.com. Again, you can shop for Petzl carabiners and quick draws at your local climbing shop or online at Petzl.com. Experience the difference with Petzl. And now, back to the show. That's uh, that's great. This is like the ones so far that we overlapped on quite a bit, but I'll, I'll share mine anyway. I'll make this number three. Because um, I was thinking about this more in the context of the climbing day. And my tip was bring everything that you think you might need um, to the boulders on that climbing day. Because it's, I don't know, I've I've done this. I'm sure you've done this. It's so tempting to think like, well, if I need it, I'll just go back to the car. Mm. But you never do. You never, I mean, unless you're like at a roadside area like Leavenworth where you're moving between. But if you're hiking up to the happy boulders or in in Bishop or, you know, um, you're in Waco, like. You, it, you just don't want to have to do that unless you want to go back for like lunch break or something. So yeah, um, it kind of sucks to carry everything, but find a good way to carry everything and then just bring everything that you think you might need to the boulders. So that would be bring more food and water than you think you'll need. Mm-hmm. Bring your knee bar pads, even if you don't know if you're going to find any knee bars, just bring them. Oh, yeah. Bring extra chalk, bring tape, bring your skin kit bring multiple pairs of shoes if that's a thing that you do guidebook bring the guidebook <laughs> yeah <laughs> bring a bring a down puffy bring layers Always you know layers, an- yeah. anticipate different weather just bring everything and if you don't need it then whatever you got a little more hiking training but yeah 
Just I nice like to, to have all that stuff. I like to like go light and go old school, but only at like my home crags where I like am intimately familiar with what I'm going to do that day. And I know that I'm going to enjoy the freedom of just having like my shoes and a chalk bag and a pad. Yeah. And maybe a water bottle. Right. But that's the exception, yeah. not the rule. Maybe I'll reframe that. Like, I mean, just do the thought experiment. What might I need? And yeah. then if you might need it, bring it. And on a just trip, there's so much more uncertainty. So I think it's a really valid tip to say, bring everything. And like here in Waco, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing everything. And there's a lot of hiking here. Mm-hmm. It's just like, the, it, it seems like it's counterintuitive because you, you want to think I'm going to do a lot of hiking. So I want to like minimize my kit, but you're totally right. Like the more hiking you do, the more you need to have your shit with you because you can't go back to the car. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to just like suck it up and have a slightly heavier kit. Mm-hmm. It's not in, at the end of the day, like carrying a few extra ounces of water or food is really not going to make a big impact on your, you know, it's a, it's a rounding error basically on the amount of work that you have to do carrying that stuff around. Carrying all the pads. Like carrying carrying extra pads, that starts to push into like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's actually real weight. Mm-hmm. But as far as like water, food, layers, that stuff's really light. Yeah, totally. Nice. Um, I have a, actually my, my last one is, is uh, pretty related. Okay. So I'll go straight into that. This is a big one. Um, and it kind of goes to bouldering in general, but I think it's extra important for a bouldering trip. So no basic bouldering ethics and paramount among that is being able to move efficiently in a group. Um, bouldering in a group is all about moving efficiently. Uh, if you're in a group that climbs different grades, you're going to need to like go to different things at different times. Um, people might be like vying for conditions. You know, there might be a rush to like get to things with the right light or the right weather, the right like temperature. Um, so a few things that you can do to make that easier are Always know what your plan is for the day and what the group's plan is for the day. If if you're at a boulder and you're wrapping up and somebody says like, what do you want to go to next, Steven? You should not have to like hem and haw and like mm. think for 10 minutes to figure out what it was you wanted to try today. You should be like, I want to go to this place to try this thing. Mm-hmm. And if you need to have a discussion with the group about whether that's what you're going to do, that's fine. But like have it picked out, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to say like, what do you want for dinner? And then have like a 45 minute discussion about it. <laughs> You just want to like be like, I want tacos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then goes with that, uh, probably my number one bouldering pet peeve of all time. Don't sit on other people's pads when it's time to pack shit up (laughs) and like put your shoes on and like lollygag around. Uh Like people sitting on my pad, I just get irrationally upset about it. And if if you're listening to this and you've ever done that to me, I forgive you. (laughs) But but at the the time, it bothered me. <laughs> um, nice. Ju- and just generally, this is I, this gets said a lot, but it really can't get said enough. Just be polite at the boulders. Like, don't don't play music at the boulders. There's a lot of people out there. We all have different tastes and preferences. Don't don't play your music unless you're alone. Don't smoke anything in front of people. Like, walk away if you're going to do that kind of stuff. You know, be be smart about your tick marks and and things like that. Just like that's obvious stuff, but it, it bears repeating. Mm. Um, and in the end, that stuff makes everybody's day better. So it'll make your trip better. Nice. Yeah, that's good. I have two more tips. <clears throat> uh, my next one is if you get sucked into a project, which is totally fine if that's, a, if that's what you want to do, um, take breaks to run around and look at cool stuff. Um, I find that it's on a trip especially, it's really easy to 
feel like there's time pressure, to feel like there's only so much time in the day or that your group wants to go somewhere else. And so, and that is that those are things, so be mindful of time. But um, what I've found for myself is that I very often hammer the climb or rapid fire unnecessarily. And I'm just like trying again and again and again, <clears throat> mm-hmm. especially if I'm working out beta. Um, and there's, I've, I've never regretted taking a step back, taking off my climbing shoes, putting on my normal shoes and just like leaving for a second, walking around, looking at other stuff nearby. You might meet some people, make some new friends or find something really cool that you didn't know was right around the corner. And I find that, um, I find that really valuable. I mean, we kind of do that naturally in the gym where we'll, you know, strike up a conversation with someone and take a longer rest in the middle of our session. Um, I think it's important to to take those longer breaks and, you know, take that step back and kind of zoom out from what you're doing and just remember that you're in a beautiful place and surrounded by really cool things and cool people. So yep. number one tip in, in climbing in general, but yeah, well, in bouldering in general is um, to, if you want to reduce your workload and make your tries more meaningful, take your shoes off every time you pull on the wall. Pull mm. on the wall, do something, take your shoes off. Mm-hmm. If you have to do it every single time, you will start making the times you pull onto the wall worthwhile Mm -hmm. that's great yeah i totally agree okay and then my last tip is sleep on a decent bed (laughs) oh my god that's so good (laughs) i was just this is actually credit to gregory locker he's uh camping right next to us and i was talking to him this morning um and i can't remember how it came up but he's like oh yeah that's something that i was just I just realized I was blowing it for like most of my adult life mm-hmm. sleeping on this old crappy futon and like I couldn't even bend over in the morning. Um, but yeah, sleep on a sleep on a decent bed. I mean, if you're in a tent and your, um, you know, money is tight and you can't afford much, technology's come so far. You can probably go to Walmart and find a decent blow up mattress for, you know, 20, 30 bucks, I would guess. I, I haven't looked into this, but there's options nowadays and you don't have to sleep on like a single one inch thick thermo rest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, whatever you can do, if you're, if you're renting an Airbnb for the trip, great. If you're in a van, you know, just, you spend a third of your life in your, in your bed sleeping. So try to think of that as a good investment, um, and get a decent bed. If you're in a tent, find something, some way to make it more comfortable than just basically lying on the ground. Cause you know, when you're when you're 20, you don't really notice that that's affecting you, but it is, and it makes a really big difference to get a good night's sleep on a trip. Yeah, and if you're not 20, then you already know this stuff. But let us <laughs> <laughs> let us reemphasize it. I bring my yeah. my pillow everywhere. Oh yeah, bring it. Bring everywhere. a pillow. Bring a real pillow. If that's I like great. go on an overnight trip to Portland or something, and I don't bring my pillow, I'll, I'll be like driving, and I'll have like a minor panic attack. <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> no, my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I forgot that, yeah, we used to like, my earliest trips to Bishop, I would be like stuffing cl- dirty clothes inside a puffy and yeah. sleeping on that. Yeah, yeah. And like we had room for pillows. There was no reason to have to do that. That's a good, I mean, if, you, if you're if you desperate for a pillow though, I like the, I stuff my sleeping bag, bag, my stuff sack, uh. my sleeping bag stuff sack with like clothes that'll like do in a pinch. Yeah. Or it, oh. it did when I was 25. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pitfalls? Pitfalls, yep. You want to go first? Sure. Um, This was kind of the most obvious one that came to top of mind. We talked about it in Fundamentals Episode 1. But 
one of the biggest pitfalls on bouldering trips in particular is being way too overstoker on day one and blowing through all your skin on day one. Yeah. And like you talked about in our last episode, it's so, you just can't come back from that. It's so hard to come back from that, especially if it's a, a week trip or shorter. Um, you can really, you can really dig yourself in an unrecoverable hole on day one. And you might still be able to climb and climb at, you know, 80% or whatever, but just don't, I don't know, just, just be mindful of that. Skin is such a precious resource. And when you're psyched and when you have all the physical energy from having, you know, sat in a car for a day or whatever it is to get there, um, it's really hard to be mindful of the trip being a week long and that you need to preserve your skin on yep. that first day. Yeah. The first day doesn't have to be the best day. Yeah. And it, yeah, it might be the only day if you try too hard. So yeah, <laughs> that's well said. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, my first pitfall is, and maybe this is just for me, my personality type, but, uh, I think bouldering can be socially really exhausting. Mm. So if you go on a bouldering trip, just be mindful of how much social energy you have and like, think about taking some time away from other people. Um, if I'm out with people like all day, I try to like find some point during the day where I like get a little bit of time to myself and I can just like hang out and breathe because mm. if I'm just, you know, bombarded basically by that, those interactions, I'll start to get like snippy and cranky mm. and I need to like be really aware of that. Um, and I think that's, that can happen sport climbing, but it's definitely a bouldering thing, especially at a popular place like Bishop where it's like really hard to get off by yourself sometimes. Um, just, you know, pay attention to how much energy you have and and know know what you're like as a person because if you're super extroverted this might not be an issue for you mm -hmm. but uh, yeah for some of us it's an important thing to consider that's great yeah and if you're an extrovert and your friends are introverted just know that it's not about you it's not personal they just need, <laughs> yeah. to, they just need yeah. to go recharge it's yeah fine. yeah sometimes i like top out a boulder and then I'll just like stay up there. Cause like we were talking mm. about earlier, sometimes it's so awesome on top of boulders and yeah. people will be like, are you, can you get down? Are you okay? <laughs> we're like, yeah, I'm just hanging out up here. I mean, like it's savoring, you know? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My number two pitfall is spending the whole day warming up and warming up as an air quotes to do the hard thing that you want to do. Mm. Um, and this might just be my personality, but this is something I've done a lot where my eyes are way bigger than my stomach and I know that the, th I know what I want to try that day and it's like some hard, cool thing that's inspiring and somehow I don't get around to it until like hour four of the session because I warm up and then I go, you know, try to knock off a classic or two and then I get distracted and I do these other things and I've done like mm -hmm. 15 boulders before I even go, you know, check out the, the cool hard thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that goes back to just having a having a real intention for the day. There's nothing wrong with only cruising around and doing mileage if that's what you want. But it is I think it's a really common pitfall to pitfall to say, you know, you wake up and you say like, "Oh, I'm so psyched to go here and try this cool thing today." And mm -hmm. then somehow you like never get around to it or you don't get around to it until like 6 hours deep in your session and you're yeah. you're exhausted and your skin's gone. Yeah, I think learning how to warm up with like nothing or how to warm up on your project is a very valuable skill because then you can just punt climbing at all until conditions are good or until you're ready to try or whatever. Because mm. if you feel like you have to climb on all the boulders, you're going to like start when everybody starts and then you're just going to like climb on all the boulders because you don't want to warm up on your project, you know? Mm -hmm. Like 
that could, yeah, that could tank your, your session. So mm -hmm. it's, it's valuable to know how to warm up, uh, with limited stuff for sure. <laughs> it's funny. It, that made me think like here in Waco, I guess for people who don't know, sometimes you go on tours here where you have a guide and you're with a bunch of people and everybody wants to go to something different. And like everybody wants to go to a different boulder problem, I should say, because something different is an actual boulder here. Oh. <laughs> um, anyways, the, like the scariest thing to me when I go on a tour is like the guide like lays out the order of operations and it's like, we're going to go to this sick thing and then this sick thing and then this sick thing and then this sick thing. And then we're going to go to the thing you originally wanted to try. Because <laughs> you're just like, well, fuck. <laughs> like now I have to decide, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that's one brutal thing about Waco. Mostly I don't think Waco's that bad, but. Yeah, but I mean, that's such a common thing anytime you go on a trip. Yeah. Because, you you know, you, you very commonly on a bouldering trip have a crew and everyone wants to do everything. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is actually one of the tips I had for the sport climbing episode, but. Spoiler. It, yeah, but it applies here. Like, just try to be ruthlessly realistic about how much time you have and what you can actually do in a day. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, hey, pitfall number two. Uh, be mindful of how much total energy you have. And we kind of touched on this in the in the general trip one. But um, don't go from like two hours in the gym three days a week to like eight hours outside five days a week. You know, you, you're going to be hiking. You're going to be maybe outside. You might not be sleeping on a great bed. Your diet is probably going to be a little different than it is. You know, like you all that's cold all day. You might be. Yeah, totally. Um, your, your overall energy is going to be much more strained than it, it probably is in your home life. Mm -hmm. um, and just like be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. And it's, easy to counterbalance that if your recovery is on point and you're like eating the right things and you're paying attention to it and you're not trying every single boulder that you can but it's also easy to do the opposite and just like tank yourself really quick mm -hmm. so um you probably need more rest days on a bouldering trip than you would on a sport trip <laughs> uh and i think a, a big thing to be mindful of too is like to think about the style of boulder because bouldering in general is just higher velocity and higher impact than sport climbing up to a certain point. Right. And that's part of why I think this is a bigger deal for a bouldering trip than it is for a sport climbing trip, just because the consequences are going to be a lot more grave probably on a bouldering trip. If you're like super deep in the fatigue hole and you try something really hard, mm -hmm. sport mm -hmm. climbing, you're likely to just like fall off low. Right. You know, bouldering, it's like you may actually hurt yourself. Get injured. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just pay attention to the style of the boulders. And if, if you're the kind of person who really does enjoy just doing a ton of mileage, then, you know, towards the end of the trip, if you're feeling fatigued, but you still want to do a lot of stuff, maybe like gravitate more towards like romps or questy style boulders or like things that are at least low velocity, you know, mm. don't be doing like a dyno to a crimp on your like seventh day or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. at the very least you can make a smart decision about problem selection. Mm -hmm. Ideally you'll make a smart decision about how many problems you select but at the very least like be be choosing smart ones at the end of the trip nice that's great was that your final one uh i have one more pitfall okay do you too. do you too yeah you go okay my third pitfall ties into everything we just talked about um it's so common that i see people and i've done this too um i see people blow it with timing of the things they want to try with conditions and with the aspect so it happens, <laughs> I don't know why it happens as often as it does, but you, you know, you see people on a trip or you're on a trip with the group and inevitably the group is like hanging out, trying something hard in the sun at like the hottest part of the day. <laughs> you know, that's like an extreme example, but yep. 
that sort of thing happens all the time. Um, so if you've never been there before, you might not know when things are in the sun, um, what the conditions are going to be like. So you might have to be flexible and change your plans. But there's so much value too in spending a rest day hiking around to stuff and seeing when it goes in the sun. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's really hard when you're in that moment, when you are finally on the trip that you've been anticipating for months to remember that there's going to be good conditions in the evening mm. before it gets dark mm -hmm. and there's good conditions in the morning and you don't have to take advantage of every second of every day. Yeah. Um, patience, I guess, is, is really hard. So Totally. And, and if you talk to someone who's been to this place and someone, especially if they're recommending climbs to you, a very good question you can ask somebody if they're recommending a climb as a project is when it's in the shade. Mm -hmm. Very, very useful thing to know about your project without having to hike up to it. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, if you hike up to it, that's that's valid too. Yeah, that's a good that's a good pitfall. What's your last one? Uh, my last pitfall with bouldering is not taking responsibility for your own safety, and this is. This is maybe the thing that I see that troubles me the most when I'm out just bouldering like I am here in Waco. So it's up to you to, when you pull onto the wall, it's up to you to be sure that the landing is set up the way that you want it to be and that you feel safe and protected. Um, it's up to you to make sure that you understand how to fall off of the problem that you're trying. It's not anybody else's responsibility except yours. It's up to you to be vocal when you want a spotter. It's up to you to be vocal when you don't want a spotter. And you should be extremely specific with your spotter about what you want from them mm. and how to give it to you. Um, personally, I'd say like 80 to 90% of the spotting I see out at the boulders is unnecessary. And mm. probably like a majority of that, like more than half of that is actually like dangerous in my opinion, <clears throat> basically when somebody's falling off a boulder, they become a projectile. <laughs> and if you're not ready to deal with a, you know, 180 pound projectile hurtling at you at terminal velocity, then you have no business being anywhere underneath that person. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people get injured um, from spotting. Mm. Even just like people's fingers getting bent backwards, mm. things like that. Yeah, it's uh, Spotting is a, is a really delicate art. I, mean, I guess we don't have to go too far down that rabbit hole right now, but just in general, be very, very clear about what you want from a spotter. So I'll be like, you know, when I'm on this move, I want you to lean forward and be ready to like push my back so that I like land on the lower tiered landing and not on this tier mm. of the landing. Mm -hmm. And then I want you out of the way. Mm. You know what I mean? And a That's good spotter great. will be like, okay. And then you'll watch the video of yourself climbing that thing and they like do what you instructed them to do. And you're like, okay, I can trust that guy, <laughs> you know? And like stick with those people. Cause they, <laughs> yeah, the people who are just like underneath you and your hair is like standing on end. Cause you can tell that they're right behind you and you didn't ask them to be there. Mm. That scares the crap out of me now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, just, it's up to you. Take responsibility for your, for your, your safety. Um, analyze the landing and just make sure that everything's like set up the way you want it to be. It's a lot more complicated out there than it is in the gym. And uh, it's worth making the extra effort. Yeah. Love that. Safe. It's, yeah, it's worth, it's worth taking the time it takes to reorganize the pads if you need to, to flatten things out. I mean, probably the, probably the most common injury I've seen climbing period is weird ankle stuff with uneven pads. Mm -hmm. And it would, you know, would have been so easy to avoid it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, be mindful of that stuff. But I, I love that. Yeah, you, as the climber, you are responsible for that. And if you're experienced and you're out there and you're with a brand new climber, just assume that they 
I mean, they don't know yet. They don't know yet, you know, the risks. They don't know, um, they don't necessarily know how the landing should be. Like take take some responsibility for those for those newer climbers and look out for them as well. And I'm sharing that because I've blown that before. And I remember a friend of mine in college, um, you know, joined us on a bouldering trip and tried this V1 highball. And we all just thought it was casual and never thought that they would fall off this certain move and mm. the pads were kind of janky and just thrown under them and then they did fall off and yeah. really messed up their ankle and it, it just was like damn that was on me i should have stepped mm. in and flattened the pads and you know i i didn't think they would fall but of course they could have and well, it's, that's it's, the whole point <laughs> it's it's on them first it's very nice it's altruistic of you to say that it's on you and i think that's a that's a good point like if you notice something if you see something say something <laughs> Mm -hmm. But personal responsibility first, in, in my opinion, anyways, yeah. you know, um, and it's like, keep in mind too, this goes along with this pitfall. Once somebody is climbing, it's too late to like majorly correct the landing. Yeah, You can like nudge a pad together, but you shouldn't be like fucking with them and like shuffling them unless <laughs> that's part of the plan. Yeah. So yeah. make sure you have this discussion before they pull on the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Cool. Should we wrap this one up? Let's wrap it up. Um, summary. Number one tip. Do you have a number one tip? I think my number one tip, I never, I don't plan these. I, I just I kind of go with my <laughs> gut. But uh, mm -hmm. I think my number one tip is to to know good bouldering ethics. I just think that that will, that will overall make you a better boulderer and will guide you towards better experiences to just pay attention to the impact that it has on you and the impact that it has on other people and the impact that it has on the environment and make good decisions out there. Mm. That'll make you a, a better boulder. It'll make all your trips more worthwhile. Mm. And I mean, that's just climbing advice. It's not really trip advice, but that's my, that's a, number one. That's great. My number one is to, is going back to um, the tip where I said, decide quickly whether the boulder is important to you or not. And again, that's just, um, being mindful about what you're doing. You know, are you are you beating your head against this boulder because you feel like you should do it? Are you shitting on yourself <laughs> and uh, and just wrecking a bunch of skin and getting frustrated? Or are you actually enjoying the process and accepting and enjoying the, the challenge that you are um, giving to yourself by, by climbing on that thing? Um, I don't know, really common trap to fall into. I think that's something that I've wasted a lot of of mental, physical, and emotional energy doing is just trying things that I, I just want to check the box, but I don't really care about that boulder. And sometimes I, I think it would have been better if I just walked away, save my, save my energy for something else. So. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. All right. Hope that was helpful. Thank you, Jesse. That's a wrap. And we'll be back for episode three, all about sport climbing. <laughs>